When we're talking about natural learning, what we're really talking about is attuning to a child. Attunement is about getting into their world, tapping into their experience, meeting them where they are. So often in traditional schooling, it's about the child coming into the classroom and attuning to the classroom or to the teacher or to the work of the day. And that doesn't always work for a child. Hello and welcome to Safe Travels. I'm your host, Damien. Safe Travels podcast is about finding expert advice so that you can enjoy worry-free travel. You've just heard my guest, Melissa Schwartz. She joined me to discuss the topic of families taking a travel year or a gap year due to coronavirus. Some parents are seeing the coronavirus situation as an opportunity to take a year off and perhaps travel, but they are also having concerns about falling behind in school or just about how a travel or gap year would look like. Melissa is a parenting coach, author, and speaker. She will be discussing the importance of boundaries and routines. She will share tips regarding non-curriculum-based learning or natural learning. Show notes will be available. You can visit our Twitter feed at Safe Travels FM. Please enjoy this discussion with Melissa Schwartz. Melissa, thank you very much for joining today. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Would you mind introducing yourself to the audience so they can get to know you, who you are, and what you do? Sure. So my name is Melissa Schwartz, and I am a parent coach for parents that have highly sensitive children. I'm also an author and a public speaker, and my passion is helping parents understand what drives their children's big emotional behavior, and then giving them tools and strategies that will shift the child's behavior, not because the kids are complying or listen to their parents, but because their needs are being met and their children's souls are really being supported. So we're trying to help parents today. The school season could be a little bit funny this year with coronavirus. Uh, A lot of schools are kind of changing their plans quite a bit. So a lot of people are considering maybe a gap year, a travel year, homeschooling, a lot of those different topics. And that can be pretty overwhelming for those thinking about it. So for those that are overwhelmed, can you give some general advice as they start to think about this and give them some help to work through that decision? Yeah. So the first thing is to try and relax. You know, our whole world is in the midst of a lot of uncertainty and kind of upheaval. And I think everybody is living with a a sort of low grade chronic stress these days. Mm -hmm. And just to kind of acknowledge that that's going on for parents and for children, that things are heightened and there's no perfect way to handle this. You know, there's a lot of figuring things out as we go and also really tuning into what works for each individual family. There's not a one one size fits all answer here. For some parents, for some families, sending their kids back to traditional school is the right answer. For some families, homeschooling or unschooling or traveling or taking a gap year is the right answer. And so giving yourself permission to do what really feels right. I'm a really big fan of following your intuition, following what makes your body feel relaxed when you think about it. You know, if your body feels tense thinking about sending your kids back to the classroom, then step back from it and start considering other options and see how that feels for you and for your children. The other thing to do here is to embrace this as an adventure. It's like if you've ever gone for a road trip and all of a sudden your vehicle breaks down and you're stranded in a new town and instead of freaking out, you say, okay, we're going to have fun with this. We're going to see what this is opening up for us. This is kind of a similar a similar experience that everybody in the world is having right now where we've got to kind of recalibrate. We've got to figure out a new direction to go and without having a roadmap, it's really an adventure. So if you can change your attitude from feeling totally out of control and stressed and worried and anxious to, it's okay that I don't know. Nobody knows what to do here. It's not like I'm missing a magic answer. And I'm willing to think outside the box. I'm willing to look at this from a new perspective. Some really wonderful answers might show up for you. 
And as parents try to decide whether they might take a travel year or a gap year or something like that, are there any key questions that you can help them ask themselves to try to make that decision? I can sense that that would be a very overwhelming decision. Yeah, absolutely. The The first thing that I would encourage parents to really wonder and ponder is, is this going to work for your family? Can your family handle the potential stress of being with your children in this way? Can your children handle the potential stress of being with you in this way? One of the families that I've been coaching for some time was thinking about taking an RV trip this summer. And they were asking me, what did I think about it? And I said to them, honestly, with the the things that we've been working on, the challenges that we've been working on with your family, I think an RV trip would just be more stressful than fun for you guys. All of you seem to thrive when you have your own space to retreat to, when you can spend time alone and recharge. And all of you being together in an RV with nowhere to go doesn't sound like it would really be successful for you. And so what they decided to do was instead rent an Airbnb house for a couple of months in a different place. So that way they could get away, have a new experience, but still have kind of a parallel experience to the home life, which is everyone has their own space. Mom and dad both have an office so they can work in peace and quiet. And that way their children also had space to have privacy, to recharge, to play on their own, to not feel like mom and dad were constantly on them. So the the most important thing is, is this going to work for you? Is this realistic? for meeting your family needs. Some families, especially families that live in in like a tiny house or in close quarters or parents that were already doing some homeschooling or unschooling or siblings that get along really well, you might really thrive in an RV, for example, together. So the most important thing is, is this realistic for your family? Is it going to work for the way that each of you naturally experience life? And if not, let's come up with some other solutions that would be more supportive. Yeah, it seems like that will take a lot of honesty for people to to get to that answer. Absolutely. Honesty and and really honoring who each person is. You know, each one of us, whether we're children or we're fully grown adults, has a, a temperament, a hard wiring that we're born into naturally. It's the way that we experience life. It's the lens through which we experience life. And one of the aspects of temperament, there's about eight or nine that were coined in the in the last century. One of them is about can we handle changes in routines? Some people can handle them really well with a lot of ease, and some people naturally really struggle with changes in routines. Some kids really need to wake up and get dressed and eat breakfast and go to school and come home and play and have a bath and dinner and go to bed. And that's what helps them thrive. Some kids thrive waking up every day with a new adventure, being in a new place, playing on a new playground. So if you have a child who is really routinized, don't judge them for who they are, but understand that this is their way of experiencing life. And the same is true for, for parents. Some parents are very routinized. Some parents do really well with shifts in their routine. So it's, it is, it's this honesty of looking at who we all are as individuals and honoring it rather than judging it or trying to change it. So if somebody does decide to try to do this, How would you describe an overall strategy for parents when they do something like this? So my first suggestion for parents, especially in this situation, but kind of in general for life is to, if you can, try and pre-think the potential challenges that might show up. You know your kids and you know yourself. So it it kind of goes back to what we were just talking about, about really getting honest, like what's really going to happen if we all get in an RV or if we all decide to travel or do multiple rentals or 
what's it really going to look like? Let me think back to the last time that we went on vacation or the last time that we traveled as a family. What went on? And get really honest with yourself. And then see if you can brainstorm or come up with some ideas that will solve those potential challenges, those potential problems. For example, if your kids get really bored riding in the car, some parents will take like a day trip and half an hour into the the ride, the kids are bored and they don't want to go. So before you get in the car the next time, wonder, so what can we do to make this car ride more fun? What could the kids bring? What could we do an audiobook? Could we play games? In other words, pre-think the challenge so that when you're faced with it, you've already got some solutions in your back pocket. That's kind of the first thing. The the second thing is to, once you have a sense of who this child is, see if you can set up whatever it is that you're doing to really meet their needs. So if you have a child who thrives academically, maybe even while you're traveling, you can have some sort of online schooling program that they can do. Or if you know that they really need to connect with their friends, maybe you can set up in advance some FaceTime or house party dates for your kids. So that way they know that they're going to be able to to connect socially. So the most important thing, which is sometimes hard for parents, is to look ahead down the road at the reality of what's going to happen rather than just what you're hoping will happen, what you wish it would look like. If you look at what you expect to happen, you have a much better chance of getting to that wishful thinking experience because then you can set it up for success in the beginning. When we wait until the problem shows up or the challenge shows up, it's usually much harder to deal with than if we preempt it on the front end, knowing what we're getting ourselves into. Right. And you spoke a little bit about boundaries and routines in an email. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah. So boundaries and routines are kind of the the magic pairing to help kids handle whatever's going on in life. And we are living in a time right now that is pretty routineless and boundaryless for the most part. Most people are home. They're not really going a lot of places. And when kids don't have clear boundaries, what tends to happen is parents will wait for a kid to cross a boundary to then say, hey, you've crossed that boundary and here's why I'm now upset with you. So being very clear on the front end about what is allowed, what is permitted, what's expected from a child, and then being consistent with it. So an example of that could be something like a boundary is we only use the iPad for two hours a day. Much easier if you, for example, set up a parental control that will shut off after two hours of usage than if you wait until your child has been on it for two and a half hours, and then you yell at them, you've been on there too long. You know you're only supposed to be on there for two hours. In other words, they need our help in following boundaries sometimes. Another example of that, which is more sort of a routine, is these days hand washing is so important. So if you do go outside, if it's in your yard or if it's to a park or if you're traveling and you're going for a walk in the woods or something like that, a really good routine is that as soon as we get home or back to our home base, we wash our hands with soap. And it's something that we do every single time so that there's no pushback from the kids. And it actually becomes something that they're so used to that you don't even have to remind them. In fact, they may end up reminding you like, hey, mom, you forgot to wash your hands or dad, come on, you know, you <laughs> right. wash your hands. And when kids feel empowered, when they're the ones reminding you of routines or reminding you of boundaries, they feel really good. They know what to expect. They're not waiting to be bossed around and they're going to give you a lot less pushback and sass and attitude because it's clear to them. So having these boundaries and routines is 
part of what will help parents have a successful trip if they decide to go away or successful adventure if you go on it. This is one of the places where when I encourage you to pre-think potential challenges, it's where can we set up routines that will avoid the places where I'm often nagging or begging my kids to do something? Or where are the places where I need a boundary that's clear? For example, if we do decide to travel and we go to a restaurant as a family, the boundary is we sit outside or we put on a mask if we're going to go inside and use the restroom. In other words, these very, very clear ways of doing things that everybody in the family does. So there's no pushback. There's no, it's not fair. He didn't have to do it. Or why aren't you doing it? It's, this is the way that we do things as a family. They become these habits of excellence that we model that are actually what help children grow into really responsible adults. Any tips for setting those boundaries and, and communicating that so it's clear and understood? Yeah, so this is this is one of the places where I really help parents in coaching because what tends to happen here is parents will often say to me, the boundary is listen to me. And I say, well, that's <laughs> not really a boundary. That's more of an authoritative decree and kids don't do well with that. So boundaries are the kind of things that I always encourage parents to kind of start by making a list, just jotting down everything on a list that you want your kids to do, to be self-motivated to do, the things that you either beg or yell at them to start doing or beg or yell at them to stop doing. That's a really good starting place. And then what I like to do is kind of go through that list with parents. And what I actually help them do is one of two things. One is figure out Is your child behaving in this way because there's an unmet need underneath it? Sometimes an unmet need is a need for connection, a need to be seen, a need to be valued or loved or empowered. Or maybe there there are all these different layers of needs. I I love Maslow's hierarchy of needs that, that Abraham Maslow came up with many years ago. So sometimes parents think that they're setting a healthy boundary or an appropriate boundary. But for example, let's say a parent is working from home right now and, and their children her home and the child comes in your office every five minutes and a parent says something like, you need to leave me alone. I need to work. I can't concentrate. But that child really has a need for connection with you throughout the day. The healthy boundary is not to say, don't enter my office when I'm working and then ignore your child's need. A healthier boundary would be to say, when the sign is on my office door, you can't come in and I'm going to come out for five minutes every couple of hours so that we can connect. And if anything is important that comes up, you can talk to me. So that way we meet the child's need while setting the healthy boundary. The place where parents sometimes run into trouble is they set a boundary without realizing that it could actually be counterproductive. So it's it's sometimes hard for me to, to offer exactly how to do it because there's some real foundational understanding that I put into helping parents when they set up these boundaries to make sure that they really work for children. Like I said before, the, the best way to get started is to get clear about what is it that you want your children to do or not do. And then we can look at that and really wonder like, well, why is my kid doing this? Is there something that's going on for them that I'm not aware of that they need in order to really honor my request that I'm making? So that's a really good starting point. Okay. So for families thinking about this travel gap year sort of thing, school I'm sure is a very big concern and actually the the learning process. So how do we handle that? You mentioned natural learning as well. Can you expand on that? 
I am a huge fan of natural learning. Natural learning is the idea that children are learning all day, every day. There are a couple of different schools that are based on this this theory. The Reggio Emilio School, for example, or Waldorf schools, they're generally thought of for younger children because what they do is they are set up in a way where kids get to follow their natural inclinations rather than be putting in a a cookie-cutter curriculum-based program. And I tend to work with parents who have highly sensitive children who are usually more emotional, more empathic. It's about 15 to 20% of the population that's highly sensitive. So there are quite a few children that are that are atypical from the norm. These are the kids that are imaginative and deep feelers and big thinkers and very often they're strong-willed. And so they tend to do really well in a natural learning environment, which basically says Life is always giving us the opportunities to teach. Many, many years ago, when I first graduated college, I was a nanny. I worked with one family where their son was about eight or nine at the time, and he really struggled with reading. And he also struggled to sit down and read. He just didn't want to do it because he wasn't good at it and it made him feel badly about himself. But he was really into sport. And so I encouraged the parents to get him a, a sports magazine subscription. And when he would get those magazines in the mail, even though I wasn't interested in sports, we would sit and pour through them together. And he would read to me from the magazine because he loved it. He loved what was in there. He also really liked cooking. So he and I would cook together and I would encourage him to pull up a recipe and read to me what were the ingredients that we had to put in. And then to add some math into it, I would say things like, well, let's double the recipe or let's only do half of the recipe. How are we going to do that? And that way he was beginning to learn, well, if it takes a quarter cup of this, but we're going to double it, oh, that means it's a half a cup. Okay. Or sometimes he would need some help figuring out how to double a recipe and how to add the fractions. And so in that way, what he learned was how to read, how to do math, how to cook, how to clean up, how to be responsible as a family member through his daily experiences. It wasn't hammered into him. It wasn't forced where he had to sit down in a classroom to learn these things. He learned them through the joy of life, through the joy of being with somebody who was connected and attuned to him. And I want to talk briefly here about the word attunement, because when we're talking about natural learning, what we're really talking about is attuning to a child. Attunement is about getting into their world, tapping into their experience, meeting them where they are. So often in traditional schooling, it's about the child coming into the classroom and attuning to the classroom or to the teacher or to the the work of the day. And that doesn't always work for a child. I have memories of being in school and being bored out of my mind because I just wasn't interested in the material. But then I have memories of going with my dad fishing in the woods for a day and walking through the forest and talking about the different plants and the animals and life cycles and how rain happens, you know, how evaporation works and learning all of these scientific principles through real life. So natural learning is really about embracing the moments that life brings as opportunities to teach children. One more thing I want to say here, which is we are blessed to live in the internet age. Google is a great resource for kids that are doing natural learning. So for example, if you're traveling and you happen to go past a sign or a store or a something that 
piques your child's interest and they say, mom, it looks like dinosaurs lived here. Like what kind of dinosaurs lived here? You could say, huh, let's get on Google. Let's check it out. Let's see. And then follow your child's natural inclination. In other words, use the internet as a resource to continue researching whatever it is that piques your child's interest. Because when you do that, it's going to open up a whole host of things that they want to learn about. And keep remembering that the way that they learn is not in a classroom always from a trained teacher. Yes, trained teachers are profoundly skilled. I'm the the child of two lifelong teachers. I have deep respect for the profession. And as a parent, you don't have to teach in the same way that a classroom teacher teaches. You want to teach your child based on what they're interested in and to help them grow into being a responsible, intelligent, compassionate adult who thrives in the world because they feel good about who they are. They feel good about the environment that they're in. So natural learning, it might not come naturally to a lot of parents to find those opportunities to do that. Do you have any tips for a system to help them find those little opportunities throughout the day where they can help do this natural learning? So it's an interesting question because for me, natural learning feels so natural, you know, Mm -hmm. and sometimes I forget that everybody doesn't show up in the same way as me, which is exactly what we're talking about here. It's about how do you show up for your children in the way that that works best for you and for them. So for some parents, you might want to think about if it if it works financially about hiring a teacher to do some natural learning with your child. For example, you might hire a professional to spend an hour a week with your child on Zoom where the teacher says, so what'd you do this week? And the kid begins talking about, well, I dug in the rocks and I I built this thing with Legos and I was racing cars. And the teacher says, oh, how cool. You know, you could take X, Y, and Z and build a whole racetrack. And then the kid is now getting involved in engineering skills. And perhaps that teacher could give the parents some specific guidelines based on their interaction with the child about what might be natural learning opportunities for this specific child. If a parent doesn't have the resources to do that, what I would suggest is first take a moment or two for yourself away from your child so that you can take a few deep breaths and become connected to yourself in your own mind and your body to really be present. We're so busy. We're in this culture of nonstop activity. So first allow yourself just to kind of settle and then begin observing your child. See if you can find a couple of moments throughout the day where you just watch them when they get lost in something, when they time slips away from them. And I'm not talking about them watching television or being on the iPad. What are they playing with? What are they imagining? What are they talking to you about? Very often we don't take the time to really listen to the kids. We talk to them, but we don't really hear what they're saying to us. If you can slow down a little bit and part of traveling or taking a gap year is really about slowing down and being together where you give yourself the the freedom to just be with your kids and really listen to them, observe them watch what they're interested in, you might start to see some openings. You also might want to use phrases with your kids like, oh, that's really interesting. Or tell me more about that. Or, huh, that I've never heard of that before. Tell me about it. So that way you give them an opening with your own curiosity to begin filling in their interest for you. And then you can sort of pull on those threads with them to look for these opportunities to really find natural learning. Mm -hmm. So for parents that might have concerns about falling behind in in traditional school, and this might be a temporary thing for many, maybe it's a few months in the fall, or it might be for the next school year. How would you address concerns about that, about falling behind? Well, the first thing is everybody's falling behind. 
You know, it's not like some, some kids are going to school and some aren't. And, you know, I remember being out of school with the chicken pox for a couple of weeks as a kid and and worrying about falling behind, you know, everybody else was moving along academically. So remind yourself, everybody's in the same boat with us. You know, we're all, we're all kind of in the same place. And the other thing to keep in mind here is that while a child may fall behind on academics, you know, while there may be a little bit of delay in learning some, some kind of book smarts, this is an opportunity to teach your children about life skills about emotional development, especially with kids that are highly sensitive, learning how to handle emotions, learning how to calm themselves down when they're feeling upset or what to do with their big, huge excitement. Those are really, really valuable lifelong skills. So if you can shift your thinking from worrying that your child is falling behind to saying things like, well, my child is learning about enjoying family connection. My child is learning to love entertaining themselves, reading, designing, building, crafting. Maybe your children are learning things about taking care of the home. Maybe they're helping with chores that they wouldn't have normally helped with, laundry, cooking, cleaning, those sort of things. My suggestion is to shift the way that you're thinking about it. Yeah, they may be falling behind in academic learning, but they're falling ahead in life learning. So if you can really focus in those areas, you and your kids will come out of this experience with a whole new set of skills that they otherwise wouldn't have had. So it's really about just a shift in perspective. Right. Well, it reminds me of something else that you wrote in an email. I think you used the phrase, turning this experience into a memorable, positive, and and growth-oriented experience, Mm -hmm. a mindset shift. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. For me, that is one of the most important things in life is looking at every challenging experience as an opportunity, that every challenge in life is really an opportunity that we just haven't found yet. And this stay-at-home time, for a lot of parents, it's been very stressful. For some families, it's been the most fantastic experience of their life. I have one client that I've been working with who has a about a three-year-old daughter, two and a half, three, and dad and mom have both been working from home. And dad says to me a couple weeks ago, my wife and I have found a way to shift our work schedules where she works in the morning. They live on the East Coast of the United States. Dad works for a West Coast company. So his meetings don't start until about noon in his time zone. So mom gets up early and works from like six to noon. And dad is with their little girl until noon. And then they have lunch as a family. And then dad taps out and he works in the afternoons and the evenings. And mom is with their little girl. And dad said to me, I never in my wildest dreams thought that I would get to spend every morning with my daughter. And it has been such a blessing. So when we are able to look at the gifts that come from these upheavals in life, because there are gifts, and I'm not denying that there are challenges, there absolutely are. It's a matter of looking for the opportunity. It's a matter of shifting our perspective, of calling in resources when we need them, of getting the support in order to make the most out of what's going on. Many people will look back on this experience and say, oh yeah, it was stressful. And it was also one of the best times of my life because I got to be with my family. I never imagined that I would pull my kids out of school for a year and travel around the country. And we did it. And those kids will remember that experience for the rest of their lives because it was so different and unique and it it gave them so much to hold on to. So if you can find the perspective shift, if if you can pull yourself out of thinking like, oh, this just isn't going to work. There's no opportunities to, well, maybe there's an opportunity that I just don't see yet. Then things can start to open up. You've shared a lot of great tips for what people can do, but let's talk about mistakes. Are there common mistakes that 
you can help people avoid? Yeah. So the most common mistake I, I would help people to avoid is uh, rushing into a decision, rushing into taking a, a gap year without really thinking through things. Another mistake that a lot of people make is, is getting stuck in wishful thinking, but not looking at the reality. You know, it's it's sort of like buying a house with a mortgage that you can't really afford. It's like, oh, I want that house, but, but you don't think about how you're going to be able to make those monthly payments. So when you are committing to traveling or taking a gap year with your family, you can almost think about it in the same way because in order to have a successful experience with your children, you want to think about each of the relationships almost like a bank account. In other words, um, when you spend time with your children, when you connect with them, when you are attuned, when they are enjoying natural learning, when they're having fun, that's like making deposits into your bank account. There are going to be giant withdrawals. Your kids may have a tantrum, your teenager may slam a door or kind of try to run away or say really mean things like using foul language or you're the meanest parent in the whole entire world and I hate you. It's bound to happen at some point, so don't beat up on yourself. But the more deposits you make into your bank account with your with your children, the more you can withstand with them. And so in the same way that you don't want to overcommit to a house that you can't afford, you don't want to overcommit to an experience with your children that you aren't able to support. You want to make sure that you have enough time, enough of your own energetic resources to connect and be with them and enjoy them on a daily basis so that you are making these relationship deposits so that your relationship can withstand any of the challenges that might that might come up along the way. And can you think of any misconceptions about doing something like this, taking a travel year, a gap year? that you can help dispel. You may have covered them already, but do any other come to mind? Yeah, you know, the the primary one that comes to mind is that it's all going to be fun. You know, when I, I've traveled, I've been to over 30 countries around the world. And when I think back on trips, like I was in the Himalayas for several months in my in my late teens. And when I look back now at 40, I think, wow, that was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. But if I'm really honest... There were a lot of really hard days, very, very hard days when I was on that trip, sick and and tired and dirty and hungry and lonely and, and all of these things. And so, you know, if you are going to travel with your kids, be prepared that travel, while it is one of the most rewarding, fantastic opportunities we can have in life, it's not 100% rosy. And so going into it, be prepared that you're going to have hard moments and that those hard moments aren't going to tarnish the experience. Those hard moments are part of the fabric that makes up really wonderful memories that you and your children will create together. Do you have any final key tips for success for people thinking about this? relax and have fun. That's really it. You know, sometimes we really overthink things and I encourage parents to feel instead of think so much. Is this feel like the right thing to do? I had an experience the other day where I was so tight and tense in my body when I was thinking about something that I just I stopped myself and I said, Melissa, this can't possibly be the right thing. Look at how your body feels. And I let it go. And I said, okay, that's not it. And I felt my whole body relax. So I want to encourage parents to feel in to things. Does this feel exciting? Does it feel like fun? Does it feel like adventure? Or does it feel like potential torture? Does it feel anxious? Does it feel stressful? 
and then do what feels good. That's the whole point here. That's great. You started with that concept of relax and, and listen to your intuition and ending with it. It's perfect too. Where can people find you online? Where should we send them? Yeah. So you can find me at leadingedgeparenting.com. And if you're on Facebook, you can find me there. I have a private group for parents of highly sensitive children where I'm always sharing tips and resources and videos and things like that too. That's great. Thank you very much for joining today. I appreciate Thanks it. so much for having me, Damien. It's been really lovely. I hope you have enjoyed this talk with Melissa. If you are pondering a gap year or a travel year, you have a bit more information to help you. I do have that usual favor. I would love to get the word out about the show. Reviews are very helpful on your podcast app. You can share it with a friend. If you know somebody that is thinking about a travel year or a gap year due to coronavirus, please forward this to them. It might help them out. I appreciate anything you can do. Thanks again. Safe travels.